Good morning. We are in the Gospel of John, hearing the almost exact same story that we heard last week. The Gospel of John is called by some the Gospel of Love. The vision of who Jesus is in John is profound. John tells us who he thinks Jesus is, which isn't actually the case in the other Gospels where we hear more of what Jesus does. And it is vast in its scope in John. And yet about the thing that manifests among people in the smallest way, Jesus is love. Love, the thing that can get too small real fast, we can make it too particular, the revolutionary love that can change the world in the widest sense, and that is about to change the world in John chapter one. So if you were reading the book of John for the very first time, you might think this gospel is going to be about John the baptizer. He is named John, and there he is, right at the very beginning. And the first person you encounter in John is John. This is John chapter one, verse six. And John is beautifully constructed. You start with a John, you end with a John. This reading about the thong of the sandal is at the beginning. There's foot washing at the end. Um, Bethany is at the beginning, Bethany is at the end. It wraps up very beautifully. I hope this inspires you to go home and read John. John is beautiful. But again, all you've had so far in this part of John is, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God some words about testifying to the light, which is Jesus. So from in the beginning, and we don't know yet what beginning, but the beginning, then light itself, so just like creation, and then we have this, John the baptizer out in the wilderness, getting people wet in the Jordan River in some way that matters a lot. Matters enough for the authorities of the time from the temple to come out to Bethany Now Bethany, and you hear about Bethany again because Mary, Martha, and Lazarus live in Bethany. That's where their house is. Jesus visits them right before he dies. And in this book of John, um, the the encounter, um, this encounter that we have is not at the Jordan River, but in Bethany. And they say, beware of these same authorities. They knew what they had done to John is what happens at the end of John. So Bethany is just a walk from Jerusalem. You're on your way, but you're not quite in the city where the temple is. So again, maybe John is staying with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Maybe he's walking through. But what we read is that wilderness man John is in Bethany, and some religious leaders from the temple in Jerusalem come to talk to him about what he is saying and doing. For a story that has survived for so long, we don't know much about John and what he was doing. What was this baptizing he did? What did it mean for the people he's doing it for? Remember, we don't have Jesus yet. He's not making them Christians. He's not converting anybody. What did those early writers want us to know? Why did it survive? Like the night sky we were talking about a few weeks ago, how would they have heard it, I wonder? And how can we get close to that? Country preachers have been standing in muddy creeks for centuries because of these verses. Wars have been fought over these verses. We will stand again at this font in a few weeks because of these verses. We do them with the words of Paul to the Thessalonians and to Paul, Paul in mind, that we die in Christ, we rise in Christ, so that we can live in Christ. We do it as early as we can in our tradition so that life in Christ is sealed upon children, a great mystery. Today, mysteriously, what that wild man out by the river is doing is provocative enough to cause some very learned and important people to come to him and check on his teaching. It might be like the diocese coming to check on us because people just keep coming to church. 
What exactly are we saying and doing in this time when people are staying away from organized religion? All kinds. But our annual reporting as a denomination shows us definitely our kind. People aren't coming back for some reason. Are we promising something great? I mean, there are some very good donuts available from about 10 to 10.07. <laughs> I mean, was John doing something magical or convincing people with false hope? Did he have sweets? John reports that he is quoting the prophet Isaiah, and he is baptizing. So let us not underestimate quoting Isaiah. Every year, everywhere that I've served as a priest, there are people in church that ask to read when these readings from Isaiah come up because they are beautiful and powerful, a vision of a just world, the one we all dream of. Isaiah is difficult and direct, and there are words to the king at the time that left him running for his life as well. Isaiah is in a lot of trouble most of the time, and it is simply beautiful poetry for us. Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley will be raised up, the hills made low. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, we heard today, to pronounce the day of Jubilee, your freedom. Remember, Isaiah said these words in the court of the king to the king. They were the words of God, Isaiah said, that the king was wrong, that the destruction of the people at the hands of the mighty empires of the time was because of the king and the people's lack of faithfulness, the nation's lack of justice, Isaiah says. John takes these words, and later Jesus does the same, and throws them right back to their equivalent at their time. Again, I'm going to say the diocese, because that's the power piece that we have, right? Our the Diocese of Atlanta, which would never do this to us, but, you know, the equivalent of the diocese and the police and the mayor, the local authorities. It doesn't work out well, and we're left to wonder, what is this baptism? What is happening that is such a threat 800 years after the proclamation? Last week, I was shown a video of the 9 a.m. service. Now, you miss a lot when you're standing up at the actual altar. So as far as I could tell, it went just fine, as usual. Um, I was shown a video on Monday morning. The choristers had sung at 9 o'clock. It was delightful, as always. But because they had sung, they were all sitting together over there. So when it was time to come up for the Eucharistic prayer, they did, a lot of them. Um, and they were all together. It was livelier up here than usual, is what I can say. Um, and some of you were watching. I couldn't see it, but if you haven't seen it, you should watch the video. Um, it was livelier. It was very lively, maybe is what I can say. Suffer the little children to come unto me, Jesus says. There is a lot of writing about why he would do that, a lot of theorizing about children and what it could possibly have meant. It's kind of deep. And why were the disciples so against it? Why were they so bad? But like baptizing, baptizing, some of it is simply lost to us. But I wonder, when we put ourselves in that position, if maybe it was a little bit like last Sunday, one of the times Jesus was talking, because kids are kids, and they're always going to be doing their own thing, especially if they have one another. I wonder if it was quite simply because it was distracting and hard to hear. And children delight us and bring out our tenderness, our literally our future standing in front of us, our shared future. And Jesus wanted people to be near and even see their future and hope in their difficult times as they heard his words. Maybe it had to do with who we can love easily, giving us access to love in ourselves. Someone commented to me about last Sunday that they can practically feel the soothing hormones wash over their body when they see those children. We are hardwired for it, some of us. 
So we explore John's actions in the same way, his deep solidarity like Isaiah with his broken people. The thing Isaiah's time and John's time had in common was conquest. So if you like history, and I do, I listen to a podcast called Empire by Anita Anand and William Dalrymple, who's a historian. They're studying the great empires of history, and I think their plan is to try to do all of them. They started with the British because they are British. They hopped around. They did the Russians when the Russians started the invasion in Ukraine. I am embarrassed to say I didn't know there was a Russian empire, but I learned about it. And then most recently, they're they're doing the Persians. And to do the Persian empire, which was the largest of its kind in its time, you have to do the Assyrians, which takes us to the very stories that we're reading today. One of the historians in this podcast uses the Bible and these readings that we are reading today, Isaiah and Ezra and Nehemiah, as sources for his studies of the time periods that they speak of, because we have the te- we have uh, documents from the as- or archaeology from the Assyrians, that's Babylon, right, from the Persians. Um, and, but what we have in the Bible is the story of those who were conquered, which you rarely have. So Isaiah is about 800 BCE, um, probably written around 700, ancient, ancient times. From the perspective of Babylon and the Assyrians, again, we have a lot, and Isaiah writes about them. The stories we read all happened during the times of their empire and the clashing of their empires and Egypt. And Israel was not an empire. It was one of the many, many local kingdoms that got run over by empires. And Isaiah is furious with the king. He is choosing to side with Egypt, this king, because he has to choose either Egypt or Assyria to stay, for the people to stay free. Because he knows that on their own, their little kingdom cannot stand. Isaiah disagrees. John is quoting Isaiah, but he's quoting Isaiah to a people ruled by the Roman Empire. So this is all quite provocative, what John is saying. And here we are in the story. He is dipping people in water and telling them to repent and return. And it has him squarely in the view of the authorities. And our Jesus will come to him and ask for baptism in the next verses. I've had people come to me over the years and ask to be re-baptized. Now, we can't do that just to be super clear if the diocese is here. We would never do that. But they say something like, this community's values are so different than the one that I was baptized in, and I want to do it again. And again, we can't do it, but it's such an interesting request. How do we mark that we have met Jesus again, that our hearts are touched, that we feel seen or at home, that we can feel the Spirit in this place? We hear the words of the gospel and say, me too, mark me as a member here. It is such a great mystery. We cannot behave like children, but we are to watch for them. We cannot be baptized again. We are asked to remember our baptism by reciting the baptismal covenant and witnessing the baptisms of others. And we are to remember John's baptism, which we know very little about, except that it hints at solidarity and renunciation and freedom. And it had a great power, temple and court worrying power. It is in John that, the Jesus, that Jesus turns over the tables of the temple right before he is crucified. Something about the order of things in the life of empire is so wrong, this text says, that people go out to the Jordan River to hear a defiant word. And make no mistake about it, John's life is on the line in chapter 1. You don't get the big guns coming out to see you just for asking people to pray a little bit more. Or maybe it matters what you're praying for. This is about the things of power, the things that matter the most to the powerful. 
Isaiah proclaims good news to the poor, release to the captive, to let the oppressed be free. This Sunday is to be a little reprieve from the rest of the season, but these are the readings we get, which has little reprieve in it, except that it is the good news of John, and then the good news of Jesus, the promise of ease for everyone, the way the world should be. In the letter to the Thessalonians, it is said this way, rejoice always. Now that we know how to do. Pray without ceasing. We can do that if we do that together, all of us. We can be praying endlessly. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ for you. We can try to do that. Some of us do that better than others. Do not quench the spirit. Now that gets a little bit harder. The spirit is a wild one who knows where it leads us, but we will try. Do not despise the words of prophets. In today's reading, that means go to the wild places, stand in the water, look around for who is there with you, at borders or in prisons, who can't get healthcare or housing, who hides from bombs, who cannot protect their children, who cannot feed their children. But test everything and hold fast to what is good. So do not be discouraged when the journey is long. Be discerning, stay committed. Abstain from every form of evil, so sober up. Put down those things that you lean on because someone told you not to trust yourself. It is the most terrifying thing to do, but we are here together. Claim the Spirit of God in you and God's call for you. Allow your baptism to work in you. And may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. And may your spirit and soul and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we too live in times of empire, big powers that define us, draw us far from one another, turn us against one another, and are also the things that connect us across vast distances and make the lives we enjoy possible. And they define insiders and outsiders and often make it very hard for the most vulnerable, robbing us of our compassion and our love in community. And if you wonder if it matters what you think about any of this, what is the right size of the world for you to be concerned about, here we are getting ready for the inbreaking in history of God among us, nothing less, framed today in the great empires of the ancient Middle East and in the great arc of creation, a wild man in animal skins, eating bugs, shouting the words of Isaiah to people who knew them well, proclaiming that that time is now for us, the time is now. Get in the water and come out, return to freedom. Let the Spirit possess you with vision and hope. And as the old preachers say, the one who calls you is faithful, and he will do this.